All right, well, we will get started. So you have some notes on your table there. As always, you're welcome to grab seconds or dessert or anything as we're going through this. Just, just don't take a nap. I know it's, it's tempting. We've had lunch. It's the afternoon. We feel it. Well, we're going to be doing our, our final name of God uh, today, and then uh, Pastor Peter is going to be here next time and, and wrap things up for this study. This has obviously not been exhaustive. Um, we would never be able to conclude uh, if we uh, were just continuing to delve into God's self-revelation. But, but isn't it precious that God has revealed himself us just was talking at a table over here and something Miss Brenda said just how how God has taught her years ago that that he is sovereign and that he is good and lay your head on the table uh, on, on the pillow at night because of that and um, that just th 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 those are attributes of God his sovereignty his goodness and and that is designed to bring comfort into our lives and into our our needs We've talked about how uh, a name, it, it, it kind of represents significance. If you think about you know, the, the Ten Commandments, the Third Commandment, that we should not take the Lord's name in vain, uh, or even in the Lord's Prayer where, he's, where we pray, hallowed be your name. What, what, what's God after? He's, he's saying, treat my name like it's something weighty, like it matters, like it's valuable. There, there's significance to who he is. And, and a name in, in the biblical world, in the ancient world, and even today, it, it signifies something about us. Here's a question for us to consider today. What kind of name are you leaving behind? What kind of reputation follows you? What's the legacy that you are leaving to those who who follow you. It's, it's an important question to ask whether you're in your 20s and 30s or your 60s and 70s. Uh, how do you want to be remembered? And that's clarifying, isn't it? In all of the busyness of life and, and all the things that we need to attend to, we can just get caught up in the next task or activity and what really matters gets pushed aside. And so I, I like to take some time toward the beginning of, of, of each year, and I, I revisit this throughout the year, as well, and I just uh, review and, and, and think through how, how do I want to be remembered by the people in my life? You know, what, what kind of assessment do I want God to have of me at the end of my life? My wife, my family, my kids, uh, the church, my friends, uh, and I just kind of write out a little paragraph for some of those. I'll, I'll spare you uh, the one for my wife, but uh, by my children, how, how do I want to be remembered by them? Well, that they had my attention, love, and friendship. They saw something of God clearly in me. Dad was one of the most influential persons in their lives. Dad rarely gave in to impatience or anger. He exercised a kind authority. He provided wise instruction and insight that they sought. He was fun to be around. He provided for their needs and led them to succeed where it mattered most. He prepared them to do hard things, to serve and to sacrifice and to suffer. The home and family were a context in which we were striving toward God's goals, but where it was also safe to fail. And then how do I want to remember by my, by my church? 
Um, would be remembered for my genuine, not self-interested care and eagerness to serve, for leading with love, for a ministry without moral failure or shipwreck of faith, as a leader of personal holiness and integrity, depth of engagement with God, and bold proclamation of truth, for a willingness to suffer, for longevity of faithfulness and sacrifice. This is an exercise that really serves me. But even as I read those, I'm just aware of how much of that doesn't uh, describe me. How I, I fail to measure up to even what I think God has given me as a, as a target to aim at. Um, but what about you? When you think about the kind of name that you are leaving behind, what comes to mind for you? No doubt a lot of that is, is encouraging. Like the influence God's allowed you to have in your family and in your church and in your communities. Uh, but there's probably also regret. Missed opportunities. Past sins and failures. Maybe there's also an awareness of the critique you face right now of how people in your life, maybe even in your own family, how, how they're disappointed in you for some reason. They feel like you've let them down in some way. Like they don't appreciate how you've handled something. What about your own analysis? The things that have been neglected. The prayers that have gone unprayed. The neighbors that you have failed to share the gospel with, the, the conflicts that remain unreconciled, the impatience and the self-interest that you know is in your own heart. Right? My, my question is, what do you do with that? When, when those thoughts begin to settle in and you feel the critique either from other people in your world or from your own heart. Does that crush you? Does that leave you in a place of discouragement? Make you feel condemned? Well, our, our final name of God that we're going to learn about today is, is a name that God bears, but it's also one that he gives to us. And it can make all the difference in how we see these things. And that name is Yahweh Zidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 33. If you're familiar with the prophet Jeremiah, he's writing in some pretty hopeless times in Israel. God's people are in a, a bad place just in their circumstances. They are, they are facing... Uh, the reality of their own sin. They're, they're facing God's judgment, right? Uh, the, the, the broader nation of Israel has already been laid under siege, and now Babylon is showing up at Jerusalem's doorstep. And, and the message that God has given Jeremiah to proclaim is, this is God's discipline, so don't try to fight it. Don't try to flee from it. Just submit to what God is doing here. Um, and, and Jeremiah himself, when he's writing these words we're about to read, uh, he's in a, a prison cell. 
Uh, he's been thrown in prison because uh, the man who is sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem is not particularly fond of Jeremiah and his ministry and is a little fed up with his, his message. He's just interested in protecting himself. But in all of that is what Jeremiah writes. Chapter 33, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. Yahweh Zekanu, right? The Lord is our righteousness. Well, if, if you're reading along in Jeremiah up until this point, and, and there's a bit of a turning point that happens, particularly in chapter 31, but, but there's nothing about the realities and the conditions of the people of God that should lead us to this conclusion. <laughs> this doesn't follow. You know, when you guys are having a conversation and somebody just jumps in with some new topic and it seems out of nowhere, but to them they acted like it was just the thing that would follow from whatever it was you were discussing. They, it it kind of seems like that. There, there, there's nothing about the visible conditions of where these people are at that should make these profound promises come our way. This, this message of hope seems to come out of nowhere because God's people don't provide for him a reason or a motive to act in this way. And, and notice what he says. If you just go up to the beginning of the chapter there, in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Right, so that's where Jeremiah is at. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. That's a big deal for God, right? Yahweh. This is my name. It's the first name that we looked at in this, in this study. Yahweh, I, I am that I am. I'm from within determined. I'm not dependent on anything outside of me to exist, to decide what I'm going to do next. I just am. You reckon with me, right? And, and because he is the Lord, he doesn't need anything outside of himself to provide some reason or motive to act. He just is Full to the brim, his mercy and spilling over in blessing and kindness on our lives as well. And, that, and that's, that's good news for, for this chapter in particular and this promise. Because he, he says that a, a righteous branch is going to spring up for David. And you know he's talking about the Messiah there. He's talking about the the descendant of David who is, who is going to come. But right now, there's somebody sitting on David's throne. And his name is Zedekiah. 
And ironically, that name means the Lord is my righteousness. But if you know anything about Zedekiah's life, that doesn't seem to be the message that he believed. You know, we, we hear from 2 Kings that Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And here he has thrown God's prophet in prison. So again, the surroundings, it, it, it seems like, to, to borrow a picture from Isaiah, that that shoot that branch that's supposed to sprout forth in righteousness it just looks like a stump right now it, it looks cut down and dead with no hope of growth it looks kind of like my garden uh, after all the freeze <laughs> this year it just you know you had one freeze and then, and then another one came and and most of that stuff just got killed but we waited a little bit to try to figure out okay is any of this still potentially alive <laughs> And then based on what starts to grow again, you uproot stuff or, or cut it back and, and, and let it be. But, but it, it just lo everything looks brown and dead. And yet God is saying there, there will come a righteous branch from David that will rise up and will be fruitful for my purposes. And, and it's important to see what this promise is attached to. Right? There's always going to be a righteous king on the throne and a priest before God. And in verse 17, he says, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. And so he, he's saying there's going to be leadership for my people in everything that they need. And, and why do we need a priest? Well, we, we need a representative before God. We, we need someone who mediates, who, who provides sacrifice for cleansing us from our sin, who, who stands in our place, who goes where we, because of our own condition, are not able to. In our own name, we need somebody else to represent us. And, and what's striking about this promise is that that's going to be the same person. The reason why there's always going to be a Davidic king and there's always going to be a priest is because that's one and the same person. And you see that promise first surface in Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And he's talking to David here, but he's really not talking ultimately about David. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And you, you remember Mel Melchizedek was the guy who showed up in Genesis 14, uh, brought blessing to Abraham. Abraham uh, paid him a tithe uh, because of his favor that had been brought into his life, but the, the name Melchizedek in Hebrew 7 tells us this in verse 2. First, by translation of his name, is king of righteousness, right? Melchis is king in Hebrew, and Zedek, from which you get Zedekiah or Zekenu, right? Uh, that means righteousness. And so that there, there, there's a king of righteousness, and, he, and he's also a king of Salem that is king of peace. Salem is just a way of saying shalom in Hebrew. Salem is the early stages of Jerusalem. 
And here, Zedekiah is on David's throne in the city of Jerusalem. But God's saying, no, there, there, there's, there's coming a king who is going to be priest, who is going to reign in righteousness, and who's going to bring blessing and peace to my people. And, 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 and notice how this is stated. In verse 11, toward the end of that verse, God says, I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. And, and literally, that's I will reverse the reversal. I'm going to flip upside down everything that has been put wrong. And so he's not just saying, I'm, I'm going to remove the shame, but I'm going to be adding gladness. I'm, I'm not just taking away the reproach, but I'm redefining their identity. I'm not just removing the consequences of their sin, but I'm going to give them a new status and a new name. And when's that going to happen? It's going to happen in those days. Well, what are those days? And look at verse 10. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, Without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing. And look over at verse 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste without man or beast and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting there flocks. Well, 600 years later, there was a, a newlywed couple, a bride and a bridegroom from Nazareth who made their way to a little town in Judea to give birth to a son. And there were shepherds in a nearby field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the shepherd king, the righteous branch of David, was born. And, and what's striking about this promise in Zechariah, I mean, in, in, in Jeremiah here, is that not just the Messiah is going to be called the Lord is our righteousness, but the city is going to bear that name. Like, it will be called, what, what, the, the city of God's people is going to be marked by this Name. God's saying, I, I will name them with my name. I will attach my reputation, my righteous status to them. And that's going to distinguish who they are in this world. And so Philip Riken writes, the righteous name of the righteous king belongs to everyone who lives in the righteous city. No longer are you going to be named and known for your failures, your sin, and judgment. But because of the sheer act of Yahweh from within his own determination and mercy, there is going to be a new status, a new reputation that you are going to be bearing as God's people. And, and, and I, I love this statement in verse 9. This city shall be to me a name of joy. Martin Luther said that if I could just know that God's not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. 
and he discovered it. He, he was reading Romans chapter 1 where it says, and by faith, those who by faith are righteous shall live. And he said, I, I realize the righteousness of God. It's not about me being righteous. It's not about my ability to obey and perform. It's a righteous status that God graciously gives to me and that I receive by faith. He says, it felt like in that moment I entered paradise. And so here's something for you to consider. Are, are, are you... Are you experiencing this joy? Does it feel like you are living in the paradise of this? And everything in your life being exactly how you want it to be, and there being the absence of difficulty or suffering. But wh what are you carrying around with you? If not... If it's not marked by this awareness, it could be that you have forgotten your new name and that you are looking to something else, something else about you or achieved by you or about your present or your past to give you this sense of confidence. This is uh, the Apostle Paul's storyline. Flip over to Philippians chapter 3. I think this is in your notes as well. But Paul experienced this transformation of looking to, to realities of his own abilities and performance and past record and trying to find some kind of hope in that until he encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changed. And so he writes in Philippians 3, Verse 3, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What's the flesh? It's not just your skin and your muscles. It's, it's what we can do by human effort. It's what we accomplish in merely human power. And he's saying, I've got zero confidence in that. That's not what locates my hope and my readiness to face tomorrow. But he did in the past, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for this, I've got more. Or circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Can you imagine being able to say that? Uh, it, Paul's saying, if, if I were in Jeremiah's day, those, those words of warning and judgment wouldn't apply to me. I wouldn't have been a participant in the corporate apostasy that was happening in Israel in that day. All of that has become worthless to him. Look at what he says. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. 
I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So, so question for you. What are you looking to to provide this for you? Where, where is your confidence? Is it in your ability to meet everybody's needs? For, for them to be satisfied with your efforts to serve and to care for them and to be a source of wise counsel to be somebody that people in your life or in your family come to for your insight and your wisdom. And, and when that seems to be in place, it makes you feel good about what God's doing in your life. But if, if, if they don't seem to be valuing your perspective, appreciating the ways that you are sacrificing for them, making themselves available to you and the time and attention that you have given, does that, does that drain away your joy? Right? People's opinions and their approval, your, your own sense of faithfulness to God, is, 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 is that the ground beneath your feet for your standing, for your awareness that you are under his blessing and favor? Uh, what we often do is we, 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 we have our own kind of versions of a, of a, of a meter to read. Now, I was having a, a leak issue with my um, tub faucet a couple weeks ago, and I determined, all right, I, I'm just going to fix this myself. Uh, you know, I do kind of small-scale little, little plumbing work like changing out faucets and stuff like that, but uh, not much beyond that. Um, but I, the problem is, step one, I couldn't figure out how to turn off my water. Um, because the, I, what I came to discover later on is that there's no water shutoff main um, on my house. The only one that is there is, is by the, the water meter. And, and the work that I've done in the past, it was always just the local shutoffs that I had to, had to manage. And uh, so I called up Steve Roberts, of course, at that point, and he sent a guy over and when they go to, to shut off the water, you know, they, they, what they have to do is they have to dig out because there was a little cover there and, and it just was layered in, in dirt and he had to borrow a shovel to, to just get to the place where they could shut it off. And he's like, this meter hasn't been read in years. They've just been estimating uh, your, your water, right? Uh, which I, I guess I like that. I don't know. Um, but think about this. When, when you... When, when you have that awareness of, is, is, is today enough for me? Is, is, is today good? Is my season of life right now favorable? Do I, do I feel like I, I'm in a place of serving the Lord and under his pleasure and, and having confidence for what he's doing in my life? Are there meters that you go and read in that moment? try to figure out based on people's responses, 
your own sense of self-worth, your own categories that you want to have achievement and status in or be recognized for? Is that what creates that for you? Because what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, I took that meter and I buried it under the ground. And I layered the rubbish and the dirt, and he uses even uh, stronger words than that when he's, when he's that, using that Greek word for rubbish. Uh, and I won't say it here because this is a senior lady's lunch. Um, but he's saying, I'm done with that meter. It's, it's buried. That, that is n- that's not what I go to as a, for, for my source as to whether or not I am accepted and approved. It's not located in me in any way. It's outsourced. It's in the achievements of the Lord Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, Yahweh Zidkenu, that depends on faith. Martin Luther says, For God does not want to save us by our own, but by an extraneous righteousness, one that does not originate in ourselves but comes to us from beyond ourselves, which does not arise on earth but comes from heaven. And so I can stop trying to get one. I can stop trying to achieve on earth what can only be graciously given to me from heaven. I can can stop my self-protection. I can stop getting angry or upset or deflated when people find something about me to be deficient or disappointing right how do you how do you receive critique when it comes your way whether it's coming from a place of somebody's loving concern or maybe they've they've got mixed motives they've got their own jealousy and envy operating in them and that's why they've come to you trying to adjust something about you <laughs> look I, I know in the friendships that we have and the community that we have here it's, it's touched by reality it's touched by uh, our own kind of agendas and sin and so you bump up against this all the time one way or another somebody feels like hey you were doing this but you need to do this how do you respond to that what does that do to you does it feel like they've just kind of deflated They've just removed the energy from the room for you. Well, why might that be the case? Is it because your joy and your hope is so attached to whether or not I'm enough? And if somebody in some way has brought that in into question, it feels like that status has been removed. Paul's saying, throw it away on the trash heap. It's it's sinking sand. If you try to stand on it, we need the solid rock of Christ in Christ alone. He is our boast. And so he says, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, boast in Yahweh Zidkenu, boast in him being righteous before God and before other people so that I don't have to. 
Yes, I want to I want to grow in my own personal holiness. I want to grow in righteousness. But that's not what affects in any way my standing, nor should it touch my joy. Jesus is our righteous name before God that he has given us. He's our confidence and our boast. You see this in Charles Wesley's famous hymn, And Can It Be, No Condemnation Now I Dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. So what does that look like? Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. You have, you have boldness to come near to God, boldness to serve his purposes in this world even with the limitation that touches everything that we do, even with our regrets, even with our awareness of how we have let down those that we love, we can have boldness because Jesus has gone on ahead of us and he's brought us back a robe of righteousness and access to the Father now and for all eternity. Lord, would we live in the paradise of this? Lord, would there be a bunch of ladies here standing on their head for joy, knowing they need add nothing to the perfect life that Jesus has lived. Lord, we, we do want to leave a legacy, God. We, we do want a testimony that follows us of how you have been the love of our life and how we have loved our neighbor as well. But Lord, it is Christ and Christ alone that is the name that we bear. And what a joy that is. Lord, may we experience the good of that today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are a few discussion questions at the back of your notes there for you to get to uh, explore that together. So thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it again.